Volume Two, Chapter Nine of A Charming Fellow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Charming Fellow by Francis Eleanor Trollope. Volume Two, Chapter Nine. We have already been present at more than one social gathering at Doctor Bodkin's house, but these entertainments have been of an informal character, and the guests at them all persons in the habit of meeting each other very frequently. On Mister and Missus Algernon Errington's arrival in Whitford after their marriage. Dr. and Mrs. Bodkin issued cards for an evening party, and invited the leading personages of their acquaintance to meet the bride and bridegroom. Mrs. Errington was in high delight. She appreciated this attention from her old friends very highly. Castalia, it was true, looked discontented and disdainful about the whole affair, and demanded to know why she must be dragged out to these people's stupid parties before she had had time to turn around in her own house. But then, as Mrs. Errington reflected, Castalia did not understand Whitford's society. "'The fact is, my dear,' said her mother-in-law, with suavity, "'it may be all very trumpery business in your eyes, and after the circles you have moved in, but I assure you it is considered a very desirable thing here to have the entree to Dr. Bodkin's. And then they scarcely ever entertain on a showy scale, nothing but a few friends, tea and cake, your rubber, and a tray afterwards. But for this occasion I hear there are great preparations going on. They won't dance, because Minnie can't stand the vibration.' but there will be quite a large gathering of course my dear it is not what i was accustomed to at ancrum park but they are most kind well-meaning people and minnie is highly accomplished even learned i believe i hate blue stockings returned mrs algernon with a shrug oh but minnie is not the least blue in her manners indeed her knowing greek has ever been a mystery to me for i assure you she is extremely handsome and has i think the finest pair of eyes i ever saw in my life but i suppose it is accounted for by her affliction poor thing Castalia had darted a quick, suspicious glance at her husband on hearing of Minnie's beauty, but relapsed into languid indifference when she was told that Miss Bodkin was a confirmed invalid, suffering from disease of the spine. In other circles Mrs. Errington was by no means so cool and condescending in speaking of the doctor's projected party. The check administered to her exultation, by Castalia's chilly indifference, only caused a further ebullition of it in other directions she overwhelmed her new landlady by the magnitude and magnificence of her ancremisms i have already asked permission to use the phrase in these pages and was looked up to by that simple soul as a very exalted personage for the new landlady was no other than the widow thimbleby mrs errington occupied the two rooms on the first floor above mr diamond's parlours the place was smaller and poorer altogether than maxfield's house although it did not yield to it in cleanliness here was mrs errington's old blue china set forth on a side table in the little oblong drawing-room and her work-box with its amber satin and silver implements and the faded miniatures hung over the mantelpiece also there was a square of substantial if somewhat faded carpet in the middle of mrs thimbleby's threadbare drugay a mahogany table and a roomy comfortable easy-chair all of which we have seen before in a word mrs errington had taken advantage of old max's somewhat rash offer and had carried away with her such articles of furniture out of her old quarters as she fancied might be useful mrs errington took some credit to herself for her magnanimity in doing so i could not refuse the poor man she said to mrs thimbleby i have lived many years in his house and although he was led away by mistaken ambition to want his drawing-room for his own use and certainly did cause me great inconvenience at a moment when i was up to my eyes in important business yet i could not refuse to accept his little peace offering a lady does not quarrel with that sort of person you know and poor old man i believe he was dreadfully cut up at my going away when it came to the point and would have given anything to keep me but i said no mr maxfield that is impossible i have made other arrangements and in short i cannot be troubled any more about this matter 
but to show that i bear no malice and that i shall not withdraw my countenance from your daughter i am willing to accept the trifles you press upon me he was a good deal touched by my taking the things poor foolish misguided old man well it was real christian of you ma'am said simple mrs thimbleby the day of the party at dr bodkin's arrived and there was as intense an excitement connected with its advent as if it were to bring a county ball or even a royal drawing-room whether a satin train lapets and feathers be intrinsically more important and worthy objects of anxiety than a white muslin frock and artificial roses i do not presume to decide only i can unhesitatingly assert that the mrs rose and violet mcdougall could not have given their female attendant more trouble about the preparation and putting on of the latter adornments which formed their simple and elegant attire on this occasion if they had been duchesses and their gowns cloth of gold miss chubb too contemplated her new dress of a light blue colour laid out upon her bed with great interest and satisfaction and when her toilet for the evening was complete she had more little gummed rings of hair on her cheeks and forehead than had ever before been beheld there at one time the company began to assemble in dr bodkin's drawing-rooms about half-past eight there were all our old acquaintances mr smith the surgeon and his wife mr and mrs dockett with miss alethea now promoted to long dresses and grown-up young ladyhood there was orlando pawkins mr warlock the curate and colonel whistler with his charming nieces miss chubb had dined with the bodkins in the middle of the day and after being of great assistance to the mistress of the house in the preparation of her supper-table had returned to her own home to dress and consequently arrived upon the festive scene rather later than would otherwise have been the case but she was not the last guest to arrive mr diamond came in after her and so did one or two families from the neighbourhood of whitford country people miss chubb had said in a loud whisper to rose mcdougall who replied snappishly of course we know them very well have visited them for years this is a brilliant scene said good-natured miss chubb turning to mr warlock whom fate had thrown into her neighbourhood mr warlock agreed with her that it was very brilliant and indeed dr bodkin's drawing-rooms well lighted with wax candles and with abundance of hot-house flowers tastefully arranged and relieved against the rich crimson and oak furniture were exceedingly cheerful pleasant and picturesque there was an air of comfort and good taste about the rooms a habitable home-like air not always to be found in more splendid dwellings on her crimson lounging-chair reclined minnie bodkin her dress was of heavy cream-white silk with gold ornaments she wore nothing in her abundant dark hair and her pale face seemed to many who looked upon it that evening to be more lovely than ever her lips had a tinge of red in them and her eyes were full of lustre there was a suppressed excitement about her looks and manner which lighted up her perfectly moulded features with a strange beauty that struck all observers even the MacDougalls could not but admit that minnie looked very striking but added that she was a little too theatrically got up didn't you think so that was poor minnie's failing all for effect and added rose she has a good foil in that little pink and white creature who sits in the corner beside her chair and never moves i suppose she's told to do it but the idea of dressing that chit up in a violet silk gown fit for a married woman and she has no figure to carry it off i really think it rather a strange measure on the bodkin's part to ask us all to meet a girl of such very low origin on equal terms but there it is you see poor dear minnie delights in doing startling things unlike other people and of course her parents refuse her nothing miss rose's opinion of rhoda maxfield's insignificant appearance was not however shared by many persons present several young gentlemen and more than one old gentleman vied with each other in offering her cups of tea and paying her various little attentions according to their opportunities even colonel whistler when he thought himself unobserved by his nieces sidled up to pretty rhoda maxfield and was heard to say to one of the country gentlemen 
she's the prettiest girl i've seen this many a day by george and i know a pretty girl when i see one sir or used to once upon a time to rhoda all the strangers who spoke and looked so kindly were merely troublesome her colour went and came her heart beat with anxiety she started nervously every time the door opened she could think only of algernon and algernon's wife she made a silent and very earnest prayer that she might be strengthened to sit still and quiet when they should appear for she had had serious apprehensions lest she should be irresistibly impelled to start up and run away as soon as she saw them it was in vain that young mr pawkins hovered near her inviting her to accept his arm into the tea-room it was in vain that old colonel whistler softened his martinet voice to ask her with paternal tenderness how she had enjoyed her stay at the seaside and to say that if one might judge by her looks she had derived great benefit from the change of air in the words of the song all men else seemed to her like shadows she was in a dream with the consciousness of an impending awakening which she half longed for half dreaded two persons watched over her and covered the mistakes she made in her nervous trepidation matthew diamond and minnie bodkin exerted themselves to shield her from importunate observation and to give her time to recover her self-possession if that might be possible diamond was in good spirits he could wait he could be patient he could be silent now with a good heart algernon's marriage had opened a bright vista of hope before him and perhaps he had never felt so disposed to condone and excuse his old pupil's faults and failings as at this present moment minnie is a good creature he thought with a momentary grateful diversion of his attention from rhoda to keep my timid birdie so carefully under her wing she might do it with a little more softness of manner but we cannot change people's natures meanwhile minnie reclined in her chair watching his tender lingering looks at rhoda and his complete indifference to every one else with a heartache which might have excused even less softness of manner than diamond thought she displayed towards the girl beside her at length a little commotion and movement among the persons standing near the door announced a new arrival rhoda felt sick and grasped the back of minnie's chair so hard that her little glove was split by the force of the pressure but that horrible sensation passed away in a few seconds and then looking up with renewed powers of seeing and hearing she perceived that mrs errington had made her entrance alone and was holding forth in her mellow voice to dr and mrs bodkin and a knot of other persons in the centre of the room mrs errington was radiant she nodded and smiled to one and another with an almost royal suavity and condescension she was attired in a rich dove-coloured silk gown lord seely's gift to her at her son's wedding and wore rose-coloured ribbons in her lace cap and looked altogether as handsome and happy a matron of her years as you would easily find on a long summer's day i have sent back the carriage for them dear mrs bodkin she was saying when rhoda gained self-possession enough to take account of her words naughty castalia was not ready so i said my dear children i shall go on without you and put in an appearance for one member of the family at least so here i am and my boy and girl will be here directly and how is dear minnie how do you do colonel good evening miss chubb ah alethea papa and mamma quite well oh there she is how are you my dear minnie but i need not ask for i never saw you looking so well by this time mrs errington had arrived at minnie's chair and stooped to kiss her almost at the same moment she caught sight of rhoda who shrank back a little flushed and trembling mrs errington thought she very well understood the cause of this and thought to herself poor child she is ashamed of her father's behaviour what my pretty rhoda she said aloud and drawing the girl to her kissed her warmly i am very glad to see you again child continued mrs errington i began to fancy we were not to meet any more you must come and see me and spend a long day i suppose that won't be against the laws of the medes and persians eh the familiar voice the familiar looks the kind manner of her old friend helped to put rhoda at her ease 
the fact too that mrs errington had no suspicion of her feeling was calming mrs errington was not apt to suspect people of any feeling but gratification when she was talking to them in the full glow of her satisfaction mrs errington even condescended to be gracious to matthew diamond who came forward to offer his congratulations why yes mr diamond said the good lady it is indeed a marriage after my own heart and i do not think i am blinded by the partiality of a mother when i say the bride's family are quite as gratified at the alliance as i am do you know that one of mrs algernon's relatives is the duke of mackleby and brose a distant relative it is true but these scotch clans you know call cousins to the twelfth degree his grace sent castalia a beautiful wedding present a cairngorm set in solid silver so characteristic you know and so distinguished no vulgar finery oh the broses and the caldkales have been connected from time immemorial then Colonel Whistler came up and joined the circle round Mrs. Errington's chair, and Miss Chubb, whose curiosity generally got the better of her dignity, when it came to a struggle between the two. To them sauntered up Alethea Dockett on the arm of Mr. Pawkins. The latter, finding it impossible to draw Rhoda into conversation, had philosophically transferred his attention to the smiling, black-eyed Miss Alethea, much to the disgust and scorn of the MacDougalls. Mrs. Errington soon had a numerous audience around her chair, and she improved the occasion by indulging in such flourishes as fairly staggered her hearers. Her account of the bride's trousseau was almost oriental in the splendor and boldness of its imagery, and Matthew Diamond began to believe that, with very small encouragement, she might be led on to endow her daughter-in-law with the rock's egg, which even Aladdin could not compass the possession of, when a diversion took place. Algernon Errington appeared close behind Miss Chubb, and said, almost in her ear, and in his old jaunty way, "'Well, is this the way you cut an old friend? Oh, Miss Chubb, I couldn't have believed it of you!' The little spinster turned round, quite fluttered, with both her fat little hands extended. "'Oh, gee!' she cried, "'but I beg pardon. I ought not to call you by that familiar name now, I suppose.' "'By what name, then? I hope you don't mean to cut me in earnest.' Then there was a general handshaking and exchange of greetings among the group. Rhoda was still in her old place behind Minnie's chair, and was invisible at first to one coming to the circle from the other end of the room, as Algernon had done. But in a minute he saw her, and for once his self-possession temporarily forsook him. If he had walked into the sitting-room at old Max's, and seen Rhoda there, in her accustomed place by his mother's knee, with the accustomed needlework in her hand, and dressed in the accustomed grey stuff frock, he might have accosted her with tolerable coolness and aplomb. The old associations, which might have unnerved some soft-hearted persons, would have strengthened Algernon by vividly recalling his own habitual ascendancy and superiority over his former love. But instead of the Rhoda he had been used to see, here was a lovely young lady, elegantly, even richly dressed, received among the chief personages of her little world evidently on equal terms, and looking as gracefully in her right place there as the best of them. Algernon stood for a second, staring point-blank at her, unable to move or to speak. His embarrassment gave her courage. Not less to her own surprise than to that of the two who were watching her so keenly, she rose from her chair and held out her hand with the little torn glove on it, saying in a soft voice that was scarcely at all unsteady, "'How do you do, Mr. Errington?' Algernon shook her proffered hand and murmured something about having scarcely recognized her. Then someone else began to speak to him, and he turned away, as Rhoda resumed her seat, trembling from head to foot. So the dreaded meeting was over. Let her see him again as often as she might. No second interview could be looked forward to with the same anxious apprehension as the first. She had seen Algernon once more. She had spoken to him and touched his hand. It seemed very strange that no outward thing should have changed, when such a moving drama had been going on within her heart. 
but not one of the faces around her showed any consciousness that they had witnessed a scene from the old old story that the clasp of those two young hands had meant at once hail and farewell farewell to the sweet foolish dream to the innocent tenderness of youth and maiden to the soft thrilling sense of love's presence that was wont to fill so many hours of life with a diffused sweetness like the perfume of hidden flowers no the world seemed to go on much as usual the MacDougalls came flouncing up close beside her to tell minnie that they had just been introduced to the honourable mrs errington and a very young gentleman one of dr bodkin's senior scholars asked rhoda if she had had any tea yet and begged to recommend the pound cake from his own personal experience go with mr ingleby said minnie authoritatively i put miss maxfield under your charge ingleby and shall hold you responsible for her being properly attended to in the tea-room the lad colouring with pleasure led off the unresisting rhoda all her force of will all her courage seemed to have been expended in the effort of greeting algernon she simply obeyed miss bodkin with listless docility but on reaching the tea-room she was conscious that her friend had done wisely and kindly in sending her away for there were but two persons there one was mr dockett who was as inveterate a tea-drinker as dr johnson and the other was the rev peter warlock hovering hungrily near the cake-basket neither of these gentlemen took any special notice of her and she was able to sit quiet and unobserved her cavalier conscientiously endeavoured to fulfil miss minnie's injunctions but was greatly disappointed by the indifference which rhoda manifested to the pound-cake however he endeavoured to make up for her shortcomings by devouring such a quantity of that confection himself as startled even dr bodkin's old footman accustomed to the appetites of many a generation of schoolboys but all this time where was the bride the party was given especially in her honour and to omit her from any description of it would be an unpardonable solecism the honourable mrs algernon ancrum errington sat on a sofa in the principal drawing-room with a discontented expression of countenance superciliously surveying the company through her eye-glass and asking where algernon was if he were absent from her side for five minutes castalia was looking in better health than when we first had the honour of making her acquaintance she had grown a trifle stouter or less lean her sojourn in westmoreland had been more favourable to her looks than the fatigues of a london season which under other circumstances she would have been undergoing happiness is said to be a great beautifier and it was to be supposed that castalia having married the man of her heart was happy but yet the fretful creases had not vanished from her face and there was even a more suspicious watchfulness in her bright deeply set eyes than formerly perhaps it may be well to record a few of the various verdicts passed on the bride's manners and appearance by our whitford friends after that first evening possibly an impartial judgment may be formed from them but it will be seen that opinions were strongly conflicting said dr bodkin to his wife what can the boy have been thinking of to marry that woman a sickly faded fretful-looking person nearly ten years his senior i can forgive a generous mistake but not a mean one if he had run away with ally dockett from her boarding-school it would no doubt have been a misfortune but i don't know that one would have loved him much the less oh doctor i am not counselling young gentlemen to run away with young ladies from boarding-schools my dear but i am afraid this has been a marriage wholly of interest and ambition on his side ah oh, i hoped better things of errington and the doctor went on shaking his head for a full a minute said mrs smith to mrs dockett what do you think of the bride said mrs dockett to mrs smith a stuck-up unpleasant little thing and i do wish somebody would tell her to keep her gown on her shoulders i assure you if i were to see my ally half undressed in that fashion i should box her ears and ally has a very pretty pair of shoulders though i say it she is not a bag of bones like mrs algernon at all events 
said miss chubb to her old woman servant well the honourable mrs algernon addington is very distingue looking martha that's a french word that means means out of the common aristocratic you know very distingue certainly but she lacks sentiment in my opinion and her outline is very sharp martha i prefer a rounder contour both of face and figure some of the ladies found fault with her because of her low dress but that as i happen to know is quite the custom with our upper classes in town mrs figgins wife of the bishop of plumbun you know martha mrs figgins sister who married sir william wick of the honourable company of tallow chandlers i believe that's a kind of city society for dining sumptuously martha you mustn't suppose it has anything to do with selling tallow candles well lady wick sat down to dinner in low every day of her life mr diamond and young pawkins walked a little way together from the docks house to the bluebell inn the master of pudcombe hall on attempting to resume his acquaintance with the bride had been received with scant courtesy but this was not so much because castalia intended to be specially uncivil to him as because at that moment it happened unfortunately that she saw her husband in a distant part of the room talking to minnie bodkin with an air of animation by jove cried the ingenuous pawkins i don't envy errington his wife looks so uncommon ill-tempered and turns up her honourable nose at everybody she does not turn up her nose at him returned diamond and errington will not be over-sensitive on behalf of his friends oh well but she's so crabbed somehow one expects a bride to have some kind of softness in her manners and hang it all there's not a particle of romance about her my dear fellow if there is in the united kingdom a young man of three-and-twenty who can comfortably dispense with romance in his wife our friend errington is that young man oh well i know errington's a very clever fellow and all that and perhaps i'm a fool but i shouldn't like my wife to be quite so cool and cutting in her manners that's all neither should i and perhaps i'm a fool shouldn't you now orlando was encouraged by this admission on diamond's part further to express his opinion that it was all very fine to stick honourable before your name but that for his part he considered little miss maxfield to look fifty times more like a lady than mrs algernon and as for good looks there was of course no comparison and though miss maxfield was too shy and quiet yet if you offered her any little civility she thanked you in such a sweet way that a fellow felt as if he could do anything for her whereas some women stare at a fellow enough to turn a fellow into stone but the mrs macdougall were enthusiastic in their praises of algernon's wife they performed a sort of carmen amiboem after this fashion rose that sweet creature the honourable mrs algernon i can't get her out of my head violet dear thing what high-bred manners and did she tell you that we are positively related the mackelpies you know call cousins with us there was the branch that went off from the elder line of brose etc 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 rose oh yes one feels at home directly with people of one's own class how lucky algernon has been to get such a wife instead of some chit of a girl who would have had no weight in society violet yes but she's quite young enough rose rose oh dear me of course but i mean that algernon has shown his sense in not selecting a bread-and-butter miss i own i detest schoolgirls violet she asked us to go and see her do you know i think we were the only girls in the room she seemed to take to at all even minnie bodkin now she was very cool i thought to minnie rose my dear child how often have i told you that people here have quite a mistaken estimate of minnie bodkin they have just spoiled her her airs are really ludicrous but directly a person of superior birth comes to the place you see how it is perhaps you'll believe me another time i do think you are half inclined to fall down and worship minnie yourself violet oh no not that but she is very clever you know and in spite of her affliction i thought she looked wonderfully handsome to-night rose sharply 
pshaw she was dressed up like an actress i saw the look mrs algernon gave her how beautifully mrs algernon had her hair done violet and did you notice that little flounce at the bottom of her dress etc etc both almost together isn't she charming uncle very answered colonel whistler twirling his moustaches then the gallant gentleman as he took his bed-candle was heard to mutter something which sounded like damned skinny End of chapter 9